0: This podcast is for information purposes only, and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rubberbank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rubberbank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. I'm your host, Blake Holgate, and today, given this is our very first episode in Rubberbank's new podcast series focusing on sustainability, what better topic to kick off the series with than a discussion about the influence that sustainability is having on the banking sector? Why are banks increasing their focus on sustainability credentials? How is this flowing through to how banks are behaving? And ultimately, what impact will this have on New Zealand farmers and growers? To help with that conversation, I've gone straight to the top of Rabobank at least. And I'm very fortunate to be joined today by Rabobank's Global Head of Rural and Food and Agriculture, all the way from the Netherlands, Lara Jokarini. Welcome to the very first episode of Growing Our Future.
1: Thanks, Blake. And uh, thanks for having me. I feel honored to be a part of the inaugural show.
0: Well, I've got you for a very good reason, Um, not just because you're head of um, Global Rural for Rubberbank, but I've I've had a number of discussions or or at least listened to you a number of times on on this and related topics and, and always find it incredibly insightful. So very pleased to be able to sit down with you today. I thought before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, though, Maybe if you could have a brief overview of your career today, because I find that really interesting, and your current role at Rabobank and what that entails.
1: Yeah, sure. Great. So I joined Rabobank almost three years ago now, and this was just before the start of COVID. Yeah, I previously worked in France, in South Africa, in the United States, in West Africa, across both the public and private sectors, and then most recently with a French bank based out of Paris. And so, my current role with Rabobank, uh, like you already said, is that of Global Head of Rural and Food and Agri, based out of Utrecht. And I'm also a non executive director on our local board of Rabobank in New Zealand. and very much looking forward to being out there later this month. So, what do I do? Um, well, Blake, I mean, as you probably already know, uh, Rabobank finances some 16,000 farmers around the world. And so, apart from New Zealand, we're active in Australia, Brazil, Chile, Peru, Argentina, the United States, and soon also Canada. And with my team, I try to make the connection amongst these different businesses to really bring out synergies and bring the best of the bank to our clients. So really strengthening that global network and making sure that we steer the business and a strategy in the right way. And then I also connect each of our local businesses with what I would call the mothership in Utrecht. Now, next to that, I have also been driving the sustainability agenda for both our rural and our wholesale businesses. And so I guess it's not a surprise that I was invited to do this podcast uh, with you. And finally, I have the privilege of being involved with Rabo Partnerships, which is the vehicle through which we invest and provide advice to banks and non-banks in Africa, South America and Asia. So pretty full uh, portfolio of activities, but all incredibly exciting and important as we try to realize our mission of feeding
0: the world. Very much so, and I'm sure we could follow a number of episodes for much longer than the 30-minute the slot we have today. So if we do focus on that sustainability aspect, and, and when we talk about the bank's sustainability agenda, what are we exactly referring to there? Because obviously, we've always had a good understanding, like other banks, from a financial sustainability, what, what does that mean for the clients and, and the sector and have good models and, and systems in place? But what are the actual credentials, features, considerations we're talking about when you mentioned the, the sustainability agenda?
1: It yeah, is a great question, because since sustainability often means such different things to different people, I mean, you already alluded to financial uh, sustainability uh, as well. And so for me, the shortest answer to that is it's about doing more with less. So it's about how can we produce more food with less use of inputs like fertilizers or pesticides and with less impact on the environment. But of course, it is much broader than that, because if I look at Rabble Bank, for us, sustainability also covers things like animal welfare, water management, biodiversity, community involvement and so on. I think uh, in total, we look at, at about 12 themes and when we think uh, about sustainability and how our clients are performing on that. Now, of course, some of these themes are much more relevant in certain countries or sectors. And so when we assess the performance of our clients, we really focus on the areas that are likely to have the biggest impact in that particular setting and in that particular production system. That's probably good to mention that climate has become an increasingly important theme in recent times. And that's both in terms of the impact that our clients have on the climate through their emissions from the operations that they run, but also how they are or could be impacted by a change in climate because of longer periods of drought or more frequent extreme weather events like floods. Um, I think in New Zealand, you've had a particularly wet spring and how is that impacting the operations of our clients? So really it's a very broad agenda and we kind of look at all the aspects, but I have to be honest, I think most recently it has been a lot around climate and
0: climate change. I could certainly vouch for that. I've been with rubber Bank myself for 10 years now, and I think the activity I've seen in the sustainability space over the, the last 12 months has been more than the, the of activity I'd seen in the, in the previous nine years. You know, traditionally, how have banks and lending institutions addressed factors and considerations like those, what we call those non-financial performance Indicators. I'm assuming they've, they've always been incorporated into our approach to clients to some degree. So, how has that been done traditionally?
1: Yeah, let me speak specifically to Rabble Bank because I, I wouldn't dare comment on how other banks uh, do this exactly. But the way we do it, I think, is, is really in two ways. So, our strategy, and we're proud of that, is to work with the leading growers and farmers in the market. That's not just in terms of how they run their business financially, but also from an environmental and social perspective. So really also those non-financial considerations. And sort of the flip side of that is that we don't onboard clients who do not comply with our policies, who don't think these topics are important. And we do also expect our clients to keep on improving how they perform over time. So what you find is that what we would consider to be like a front runner, I don't know, even five, ten years ago, If that client hasn't changed anything in the way they've been farming, probably by now they would be considered a laggard because this topic is evolving so quickly. So one is we really look at their sustainability performance and we choose not to work with clients who don't take that seriously. Next to that, we also consider sustainability and then sort of the climate risk when we do our collateral valuations. So we do look at what are the conditions of the land that we take as collateral, especially in in countries where water is an issue. Do they they have sufficient access to water? Do they manage their water well? Um, So we do really consider that as well.
0: And we've already alluded to it, but we've sort of talked about the change that is happening around the focus that ourselves and other banks are, are having in that space. Are you able to sort of elaborate on what's behind that? What is the drive push behind that? Is that banks' internal policies and, and approaches or is it coming from more external sources?
1: I think in the case of Rabobank, it's a combination of both. So out of our mission of growing a better world together, but also that drive to contribute to feeding the world sustainably. I think it's always been top of mind for us. But I think added to that, we now really see regulatory pressure, but also expectations from society really changing. So to start with the regulatory pressure, of course, we're a European bank. We're regulated by the European Central Bank. And the question of sustainability, and again, in particular, climate has become top of mind for them. They're asking us to run climate risk heat maps to understand how our portfolio is exposed. They're changing. There's a lot of European regulation now in the making, whether it is around commitments to reaching net zero or on deforestation, for example, that is impacting us and is impacting our portfolio. And when I say impacting, I don't just mean in a a bad way. I mean, actually, it's it's encouraging us to just keep on doing better in that sense. And then, of course, there is societal pressure on us as well. Now, as a bank, and I'd like to say alongside most of our peers, um, we have committed to reaching net zero in our financed emissions or scope three by 2050. And I'm sorry if it gets a little bit technical here, but these financed emissions are basically the emissions that our clients produce in their operations. So as a bank, we've already said, hey, the emissions from our own operations, our scope one and two, we're bringing those right down, and we've been working on that. But the financed emissions is really, I mean, in the case of a dairy farmer in New Zealand, this would be the emissions from the feed that they purchase or the fertilizer they might use, or simply from the methane from their cows when they're burping. And so the expectation from society as large is really that banks will play their part in bringing down those emissions. And that could be by, well, Take the case of fossil fuels that a bank might have in its portfolio, it's really to say, well, are you stopping to finance those? Or by simply encouraging clients to become more sustainable. And that could be by having sustainability-linked loans where you tie the interest rate to um, say specific sustainability KPIs. Coming back to regulators, um, so they're very focused, like I said before, on climate risk, and they really wanna make sure that banks do not end up with what we would consider to be stranded assets. And that they really hold enough capital also to withstand any shocks to their portfolio from extreme weather events. So, yeah, it's really a a pretty interesting time to be working for a bank right now.
0: And potentially, maybe if we just dig into that regulators and and potential capital holding requirements, what are the potential implications of that over the next five, 10 years plus? Any thoughts on how that could play out and, and influence access to capital and the cost of that capital?
1: So I guess as a bank, we've always been in the business of trying to balance risk and return. And I think going forward, sustainability and climate will increasingly enter the equation. So I think we will be looking not just at financial risk and return, but also at climate risk and sustainability return. And so by implications, clients who deliver less of that sustainability return, because, for example, they have higher emissions... I would expect that sort of coming through in how we view risk and then also in the cost of capital. And I think for banks as a whole, I think the regulator will also be looking at us in that way. They will be expecting us to say, well, if you're more exposed to climate risk, that is a type of risk and we'll expect you to hold more capital for that. And ultimately, that will be added on to the bill for our clients. Now, saying that, I do think we're a long way away from that today because we don't yet have the data, but it's changing very, very quickly.
0: Okay, so picking up on that data point, what what is the data that you referred to that we need? What takes us from where we are now to that point where we do have clarity and, and it does start to get in, in incorporated into how we formally assess that impact and risk?
1: Another really good question, and I think we're, we're kind of coming to terms with that. So we've had our uh, rural client photo or sustainability assessment with our clients for a long time around those 12 themes that I alluded to earlier. I think what we now increasingly see is obviously emissions data. So how much do our clients and their operations emit in terms of greenhouse gases? Now, that's easier said than done. So when we look at, again, for example, the energy sector, I think there's pretty clear data and transition paths are known. For agriculture, a lot is still unknown. And so I think what we see is obviously in many cases, the first step is awareness and really trying to make sure that we Get everyone to understand, hey, we need to start collecting this data about how we farm, how we run our operations, and then be able to put that ideally into kind of industry carbon calculators, um, because we wouldn't want every client to be asked the same thing by all the different, whether it's, you know, their off takers or the banks that they work with. It'd be great if that's just one industry calculator. And I think in New Zealand, you're, you're lucky in that regard. And then just start getting a sense of what is our baseline? Where do we start from? Because it's only when you know where you stand today that you can kind of figure out where should I be going and how big is the gap that I might need to close. So when we speak about data, yeah, I think it's really, like I said, we've committed to reaching net zero by 2050. We need to kind of reach certain in-between targets as well. And we can only do that if we know where we stand and where we're heading.
0: So it's essentially that's just the stage of the the journey we're at. So so in New Zealand, we talk about farmers needing to, to know their numbers and there's there's a range of campaigns built around that in both the, the dairy and, and sheep and beef sector. Am I kind of hearing that that's a similar stage where, where the banks are at? So, so we have made some long-term commitments and, and we know where ultimate we need to get to. But the exact pathway and and how that plays out is still to be determined because we are doing that, those baseline numbers, understanding where we're at now before we advance too far down, well, what does that roadmap look like, you know, interim targets or anything like that? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, see, what we'll find is some of our clients and especially, I mean, I I mentioned we we like to work with the leading farmers. So I guess intuitively, we assume that they're already well on their way to Paris. I think for some operators that will be more challenging, but without really having sort of scientific backing for that, at this stage, it's nothing more than an intuition and we do need to start firming that up. I think New Zealand um, and the government has been pretty forward-looking in that regard. I know it might feel when you're there that things keep on changing and new requirements keep popping up. But looking from where I sit, I really feel that the government, because the country is so export-oriented, you try to anticipate what are we going to be asked in a few years down the road and how do we start preparing for that. And I think that's really going to help indeed in making sure that all farmers know their numbers, know where they might be outperforming, but also perhaps underperforming so that they can take the measures and make the investments to do so. I think specifically in dairy, there is a lot of focus on, for example, things like feed additives, and they look promising. But again, until you start measuring, it's hard to know how big the impact of that will actually be.
0: What I find interesting, sitting from a New Zealand perspective, is you're right, we have had a a strong focus on emissions reduction targets from our central government and and now a pending price on emissions come 2025. And and like I said, I think we've been a lot very inward focused and, and possibly haven't had the perspective that our competitors to some degree will have to face up to this at some point. Now, that might not be in the form of their central government regulator, but the conversation we've been having is how you've viewed the global portfolio of Rubberbank. So you're looking at how we're going to be assessing clients, not just in New Zealand, but in Australia and South America and America and, and Europe. So, you know, the way I'd probably in- interpreted it is a lot of the work that's happening here in New Zealand potentially could set us up very well when some of our competitors increasingly are facing some of those same pressures, although it might come from a different direction or, or, or different organisation directly.
1: Yeah, no, clear. And I think, so if you look at sort of the high over emissions number and and emissions intensity, so that's the emissions per kilogram of milk, I think New Zealand is in many ways already leading the pack or at least has very efficient production. And I think that will stand you in good stead going forward. And yeah, as Rabobank, I mean, we do this all around the world in all our operations. We look at the steps that our clients are taking. I think in New Zealand, in a way, it helps because both the government and industry are moving in the same direction. I think that's not the case in all, in all countries just yet. And we as a bank try to play our modest role in, in making it possible and really facilitating that.
0: We've spent a lot of time focusing on climate and for very good reason. But obviously when we talk about sustainability and, and those non-financial indicators, and you mentioned the 12 indicators that we already look at, what would you see as the next one or two major other indicators that are probably next cab off the rank, and farmers should increasingly be turning their mind to and, and focusing and, and getting an understanding on, you know, where they stand in, in respect of those indicators in, in their business and where that's going.
1: So I think we already see biodiversity kind of coming up next, and that is again linked to obviously uh, pressure that we have in Europe to look at this um i think rabobank itself has also signed a biodiversity pledge um which is at least indicating that we'll try to monitor and report on on where we stand so again that the data comes into play I think in ways that's an even more tricky one. And really, as with all these things, we kind of, you know, it's baby steps. We try to figure it out along the way. And we really always try to work with our clients as well to figure out what's the best way to do this. But I think, yeah, biodiversity is a big one. And then other parts of our portfolio, I think water is becoming an increasingly important topic. Access to water, availability to water, quality of water. And that will um, happen, of of course, have a big sort of implication on our horticultural portfolio. So then you're looking more at our some of our South American operations, but for example, California as
0: well. Yeah, water is certainly again a, a key one in New Zealand, and has been for a number of years. I suppose it's interesting, but there is, is for us, it's more of a water quality discussion and and, and challenge in terms of water quantity. It's an an area where actually we have a lot of water, whether we're appropriately harnessing it and and whether we can better utilise it to maybe adapt to some of these changing climatic conditions is another discussion. If we start to bring it down right to a New Zealand client farmer level, what can they be doing to prepare now for some of these changes and the direction of travel that we've, we've talked about in terms of the influence that climate in particular, but but more broadly sustainability, will have on how banks behave?
1: Well, it's always hard to give a farmer advice on what they should be doing. But I guess my key ask would be be curious and I guess take an open mind. Change is happening all the time and farmers know that better than anyone else. And so how can you prepare for that change? Well, that's first by just keeping your eyes and ears open and see that it's happening, get the information you need and ask. And I think Rabobank in that sense, I hope can help because we do have a very broad knowledge base and uh, many of our account managers have very, very deep expertise also in terms of farming and can connect with the right experts. And I think there it's really about getting that awareness that this is coming, accepting that it's coming, and then focus on the data and the collection look critically at your own operations and think hey i'm doing this today if all of this is happening is this still how i'll be doing it tomorrow and you might find that 90% of what you've been doing is still absolutely the best way and it's already super efficient and you might figure that there's 10% where you can still make improvements maybe you'll try using feed additives at some point or maybe you'll try doing something different in the way uh, in the way you farm
0: it's a good summary. Like you said, it's always dangerous territory when you start trying to give advice to farmers on how to farm because they know it significantly better than, than we do. I suppose it's, it's just trying to, you know, from our perspective, giving them a, a frame around understand what, what the implications could be for them going forward. And and I'm going to talk about going five or, or ten years forward and, and I realise that's an incredibly murky space right now. But do you see us, not us, but banks generally getting to the point that clients or farmers that aren't able to demonstrate they have a good understanding of this and are moving in the right direction, there will be implications around how they access finance or, or the cost of that finance?
1: So the short answer, Blake, is is yes. I do think that clients who either are unwilling or unable to meet the increasing sustainability requirements will find it increasingly difficult to access capital. And when they are able to get it, it will be more expensive. Like I alluded to earlier, it's starting to be seen as an additional risk we take into account. And as banks are in the, the, the business of weighing that risk and that return, and if the risk goes up, obviously the return needs to go up as well. And you'd expect that to be priced on to our clients. And I would therefore really encourage our clients to start thinking about that as they look to next five, 10 years ahead. Do you also want to emphasize that You know, we talk about this a lot as um, things that have to be done or challenges, but let's not also forget the opportunities that are out there, whether it's around carbon credits or sequestration, um, whether it's about the use of innovation. I think that's phenomenally important and really offers incredible benefits.
0: Couldn't agree more. How I frame it is is we're going through a, a period of change, and that does create obviously anxiety and challenges, but also massive opportunities. And I think, again, from a New Zealand perspective, we've always been a, a sector that has responded well to change and innovated and have and got through it um, and really come out the other end thriving of it. So I think although it will be incredibly frustrating possibly for many of our farmers at the moment and, and maybe even over the coming years, it very much is an opportunity for New Zealand farmers and the sector as a whole to really position itself well within a an environment that's changing not just here in New Zealand but globally and reshaping food production systems globally and I think that that's an important point to keep coming back to here in New Zealand when sometimes we think it's it's just us that's going through it and given that you're coming to us from the Netherlands I'm sure you can vouch that it's not just New Zealand farmers that are feeling pressure around accounting for their environmental impacts
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, we see it everywhere. It's just become the hot topic. Doesn't matter. I've been traveling a lot this year. I've been to each of our countries and wherever I speak to farmers, they ask me about this. What's happening? What's coming our way? How can we prepare? How can we make sure that we're, you know, we stay ahead of the game? Um, So definitely New Zealand is not alone in that. And I think as Rabble Bank, and I hope you know that, When you listen to this podcast, I mean, we're incredibly committed to the agricultural sector. We like to be there with our clients um, through the cycle. And I think this is just another journey that we need to be on together, learn together and and figure out how best
0: to deal with this. That's a very good summary, Lara. Look, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. As I said at the start, I find your insights always incredibly valuable. I think a, a couple of the, the key takeaways and, and learnings for me is just just reinforcing that this is something that is happening globally. This is a, a change that is beyond just New Zealand and, and New Zealand farmers, and potentially what what is happening between a, a government and industry level. It is, it is much broader than that. Uh, also I also think it's important to keep in mind that you know various organisations and, and sectors globally are still at that know their number stage. So we're still getting the information and data to benchmark where we're at, and that's okay. That's fine, that's that's the stage we're at. So let's get that stage right before we progress too much farther but it is important to keep in mind we will have to progress from here. So once we get that right, it is about taking that that next step around well, what practices or, or behaviours do I need to take to head in the direction I need to head? Because from what I'm also hearing is that will start to have implications for how you are able to, to access capital going forward, which will have implications around costings. So again, Lara, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm very excited that you're coming down to New Zealand for the launch of this podcast in the coming weeks. And I understand you're going to do a few other activities within the New Zealand business while you're here so very much looking forward to catching up then
1: thanks Blake it was uh, great to be here and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, in person hopefully next week
0: thank you for listening to Talks: growing our future podcast if you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed in the future please go to